I hear you, Sammy. So Bruce has joined us now. Yes, hi, Bruce. Sorry about that. There was a there overlap on this. No, no worries. Um, so thank you guys for like taking the time to hang out. And uh, I have questions, obviously, for both of you. And I have questions individually for you. But if you ever want to feel like to chime in or add something, obviously, there's no rules. So <laughs> it's, it's the new COVID thing. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I'm just going to hit record and then we'll see what happens, basically. So okay. just white knuckle it until it's done. That's good. <laughs> Sounds good, Sammy. All right. Yo, welcome to my summer lair. I am your host, Sammy. More graphic than design, Yunnan. Today's guest is the esteemed Bruce Mao, whose business card reads, designer, innovator, and educator. Joining us to talk about those three dynamic practices is Bruce's creative partner and wife, BC Williams. But first, there's always a first. We gotta talk about Mao. Not the man... Rather, the documentary. It's directed by Benjamin and Jonah Bergman. Mao is the first ever feature-length Bruce Mao documentary. You know you're doing cool things with cool people when your work logically prompts a documentary. Now, to quote the media release, the film explores the untold story of his unlikely rise in the creative world and ever-optimistic push to expand the boundaries of design. We tell the story of his incredible career from Mecca to MoMA, from Guatemala to Coca-Cola, and his most important project yet, his own life. So yeah, let's get into his documentary life, talk to his charming wife, and understand how he deals with strife. No stress, this podcast is not rife with rhymes. I want to start with this. Like, Bruce, you had a great line in the doc about how before your daughter was two years old, she'd visited all these like worldwide cities. She'd been everywhere, basically. And it reflects, it partly reflects the nature of your work, right? You, like, you guys are like Batman and Robin. You go from town to town, like design superheroes, right? So how has that pandemic experience been for you? Not just in terms of slowing down, but is it giving you more time to think? Is the global pause uh, inspiring? Because this is affecting everybody. So is it inspiring in a way that will hopefully prompt some rethinking and some massive change. See what I did there? <laughs> yeah, I think it will. Um, I mean, it certainly has for us. Um, you know, it's been, you know, I've been in this room for over a year. Um, so it's been a you know, quite extraordinary experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've had dinner with our children every night for the last year, which, you know, they were all at college when this broke and, so having them all home and with us for the whole year has been you know, quite a wonderful experience in a, with its own kind of harrowing cause. But, but it's been quite a lovely experience in that respect. And we're very fortunate to have, you know, a lovely place. And, you know, it's not it's not been a bad, you know, that part of it hasn't been a bad at all. Mm -hmm. um, but it is something to not connect with people. You know, it's so much a part of our work and our life and, you know, being other places and, you know, working with people. Um, you know, as you said, it's really what we do. Mm -hmm. And so that part of it has been quite challenging. 
Um, you know, what, what has saved us in a way is that we've worked with so many people over the years that a lot of the projects we're doing, you know, in the pandemic are projects with people that we've worked with before. Mm -hmm. So we know them. You don't have to do that kind of introductory, you know, that introductory part is hard to do. Uh, even you know on on Zoom or or Skype or anything. You have a shorthand now, is basically what you're saying, right? Like Scorsese yeah. and De Niro working together after all these yeah. years. I mean, I worked with you know Sanford Quinner, was one of the editors of Zone for oh, almost 40 years, and and it's wonderful to work with him again. Mm -hmm. But I think it also comes from um, trust too, right? And so you know that massive change name you know when we were sort of thinking about like what we were going to do together and where is our purpose and maybe people thought well you're a little bit grandiose with the massive change name but we knew that there were massive problems and massive opportunities in the world and what was strange was we're at the intersection of, of, of change and design so the we're super blessed the phone rings because the problems are here people really want to look at things and redesign them and and these are people who've always been thinking kind of big so it, it, it was scary but it was also comforting it was like yes we also have, can be of service we can think about these things and so that pause of reimagining how we're going to work what we're going to work on how we're going to design our time you know we're talking about the boundaries this 24-hour day mm -hmm. and that sort of kind of dovetailed into oh we can still work on what we love, do those big projects, but we can manage it. And we're not jumping on a plane and we're here and you build those intimacies, which is kind of cool. So that has been new, I think too. And nice, I think, the, the icing on the pandemic cake, if you will. <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. And, and one of the projects I want to talk about is the documentary. And Bruce, you're often known as like an optimist and a futurist. So I'm kind of curious, why did you want to make a documentary that mainly looks back uh, at your origins, right? Like, it almost feels like it's releasing a Greatest Hits album rather than like an album of new songs. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I didn't want to make a film at all. Okay. Uh, and I didn't make a film. Um, uh, ben Benji and Jonah made the film. Uh, so it's really their project. Um, I thought they were very smart and and really quite... Uh, nuanced and I thought they would do a good job and I think they really did a wonderful job mm -hmm. and that is you know it is a story you know it's a story of a way of life uh, and I think you know inevitably you want to know how the story started um, and you don't know how the story is going to end <laughs> yeah to be continued <laughs> and knock on wood yeah <laughs> <laughs> are you hoping for any specific effect or like a response to the documentary um, not, not really. Um, you know, I think the, you know, the, the one reason that we, you know, agreed to participate is we thought it, it would be important to get the, the principles of MC24 to as many people as possible. I think the, the, the challenges that we now face are just increasingly urgent. Uh, and we know that, that we've got a very you know, productive and effective methodology that anyone can learn. You don't have to be a designer. And so, you know, we, we thought if we, if we could put those ideas into the public beyond designers, you know, beyond the people that we 
uh, would normally talk to, um, that that could be really uh, you know, an important thing to do. And I think also part of it was we really didn't want to do it. And then there was a moment where, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's really nerve wracking, right? Uh, to mm -hmm. be on the other side and be vulnerable and have people ask you things and not have any control because it's not our project at all. It's their vision. Mm -hmm. So that trust is really important. So we were like, okay, we're going to trust you. Um, and that's a weird experience, you know, I think for us. Um, but we realized we ask our clients to do that too. And we, they would be careful. But the thing for me that I thought was really important was as design keeps evolving, you know, most people think it's like, ta-da, it's perfect, it's finished. Mm -hmm. And every time you see an art movie, it's always kind of weird and fake. Like they're tearing paper, they're drawing, and there's all these things, you know, these yeah. kind of tropes. And, and this, I thought was, well, this is going to be hard, right? We're going to show the process. And a large number of the projects that we work on we can't talk about and uh, when we do you know it's, it takes like five or ten years and so to just to understand that um, things take time and they stop and they start and then you know it's really gratifying I think that that's also what I thought was interesting that they captured was the process so you didn't see Bruce doodling or anything like that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, and part of that process, though, and one of the terms that both of you get labeled with is uh, curators and curation. You guys are associated with that. Like, based on your practices and tools, what does curation mean to you? And has that kind of evolved the way that you've kind of evolved the word designer? Uh, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. um, like for me, the, the practice of design is a curatorial methodology. In other words, you're taking things and, and ordering them and sequencing them, put, putting them in a kind of story. Um, and that's essentially what curation is. Hmm. You know, if you think about, you know, when we did Massive Change, we created a model uh, that we call design economies. And we ordered the whole exhibition around 10 of these design economies and curated projects and products and design practice into these 10 Kind of organizing concepts. Um, when I do a book or when I'm working on something, uh, you know, that is a new project, I essentially do the same kind of thinking process. I set up a structure and then I order the content <laughs> into a sequence that is going to inspire people, touch them emotionally, change them, you know, make them aware of something new. I think the, the kind of core methodology is very similar. Yeah, cool. Uh, Busy, I want to talk to you for a second because, like, this is an interesting time in America. Uh, there's a lot of, like, upheaval, I guess, for lack of a better term, right? So as the chief insights officer for Massive Change, how are you viewing the current cultural movements? One of the beliefs, basically, is that there should be more design, and design leads to inspiration. Like, do you feel that these movements have enough quote unquote design to kind of get them over to the finish line, to cross the finish line? I mean, you're asking the hard questions. Okay. So uh, <laughs> we're going to go back to the documentary though, but because you're working no. on this thing. So it's always like, let's get into this stuff. No, this is important, Sammy. I think that's one of the reasons why we're here in Chicago. 
I think we've um, had always had a love affair with America, and we know that the problems of the world are complex. And um, one of the roles of a designer is to listen, to listen and learn. And I, you know, you realize year by year how complex the Black Lives Matter is, and uh, gay rights, and social injustice, uh, social injustice issues, and um, to look at them from a comprehensive design perspective. Um, I think that there are tools for design that could be effective in um, having people achieve, you know, peace and harmony and social equity and justice. And I was talking to a friend of mine about this, another Canadian who's a designer. And he said, um, you know, BC, racism and sexism and classism, those are design constructs. We can actually redesign them. It's that simple. And that for me is really powerful. So I think as a designer and as a person of color and a woman, et cetera, you know, part of it is there are ways to um, engage differently, acknowledge how different and difficult it is, but these are design constructs and they can be redesigned. You built them before, you can unbuild them and you can redo them. And I know that sounds naive, but I also feel that the graphic elements of some of these movements, but also the galvanizing of people, you'll always find that the, that the design and design communication is always at the forefront of any revolution or any change making, right? Because mm -hmm. they care, designers care. People want to get the message across. They need to be clear and they're at the forefront of change. So I'm optimistic. I am, it's tough, but I am optimistic that we will make our way through. So then for both of you, then what are your metrics for hope? Like for your work, you draw multiple sources, right? For design inspiration. Like it, you, you basically are human blenders, right? You take a bunch of ideas. So what about your sources for hope? My kids, our kids, you know, like I think one of the reasons why we did massive change together is like, um, you know, there are, there are, I call them our little, they're no longer little, but they're, they're, they're the hope. And, and for them, you know, I, our work is to design a platform and a pipeline, you know, a way for, we're not going to solve it all, but it's our job to give them tools. Um, and every day you look around, like there are moments of beauty and hope and inspiration uh, if you turn around, right? And um, we, again, I, I know this sounds Pollyannish, but it's, it's, it's the truth. We have education. We do have justice. We do have recourse, right? And um, human ingenuity, the way that the young people are moving, it's just they're not going to take a lot of that stuff anymore. And we just have to support them mm -hmm. and move ahead. There's a new energy and regime coming in, I feel. Bruce, what do you think? Well, I also think that, you know, at the core of our method, and really at the core of design method is empathy. In other words, you know, we don't work on our problems. We work on other people's problems. People come to us with, you know, sometimes very weird problems that we never even could have imagined having to deal with. And our job is to help them to deal with it. And that means that we have to start with really uh, an understanding of their experience. Mm -hmm. And if you think of you know, all the kind of challenges that we face right now, the common denominator is a lack of empathy. Mm -hmm. it's, it's an inability to understand the 
the experience of another form of life, mm-hmm. whether it's racism or um, white nationalism or um, you know an in a, you know, an inability to understand climate change and and you know, support natural systems and ecologies. Um, the common denominator there is an inability to understand the experience of other life. And I think that what we have in a design method is a core methodology of empathy. And I think the more that we could apply that to the challenges that we faced, the better the results will be. And so I, I think the, the way out of the mess that we created uh, is, is by design. Yeah, I think sometimes people kind of settle for sympathy rather than empathy, right? Because sympathy is like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. Like, you know, I feel bad that somebody was racist to you or sexist to you, yeah. right? And you can kind of shrug and then you're kind of done. You can roll over and take a nap. But empathy yeah. involves, like you said, listening and kind of actually being involved uh, in yeah. somebody's life or their experience. Yeah. And I go further, Sammy. I go to compassion. I mean, I know that's it. Like, for me, it's like, I get it. That's bad. But let's, we can do something. There's a solution. Like, I feel like, I think you're right. You go through all of it. But for me, I just, I guess I just go straight to like solution. And I think maybe sometimes I can hold it a little longer, but I'm like, you can fix that. You can fix that. That could be better. Yeah. Like, you know, like, come on, like, let's raise the bar. You know, mm-hmm. really? And so that's also part of it, I think. And is that what prompted then like the massive change network? Because network is an interesting word, right? Like it could be like it's an arrangement as well as a system of interconnected individuals. So it's pretty clever. Yeah. And and I would say the network effect is starting to work now the way that we've imagined it, because the scale of the projects that we're working on, the problems now, if you can imagine post-pandemic, are so huge that it's our one studio can solve it. And so we are actually using that network effect of multiple studios, you have multiple intelligences, if you will, Renaissance teams of groups and groups of people to really crack complex problems. And that's really fun. And that was the kind of dream that we had, you know, 10 years ago. And the dream is kind of a reality. And what I love is that, um, Bruce is really still the curator and the maestro. So I may set the table and we think, well, let's play together in here and here and here. Mm-hmm. But still there's a great kind of laddering that happens with Bruce and his ability to take multiple complex teams with multiple skill sets and, and, and deploy them, you know, and get alignment. So that's really been fun, um, I would say. And that's just in the last little while. Bruce? You, Bruce, you should ask Bruce the network question. He's always, he used to bother me. He's a BC network, network, network. I'm like, let's just work on what we have right here. <laughs> and now it's like, now there's a network, network, network. <laughs> no, it is an important, uh, important part of what we do. I mean, we don't do it all. And we don't pretend to do it all. But if you reach out, the people that are available, I mean, if you think about you know, who we can work with today. You know, I, I mean, people take for granted how easy it is to connect with other people. You know, I, I grew up before before computers were introduced to the workplace. Mm-hmm. And I, I, when I started working, it was still in the Gutenberg era. 
<laughs> we, were, we were using hot uh, i'm serious yeah we were using hot metal type yeah. the way that gutenberg did mm-hmm. um and so um uh, but today you can i mean we can contact practically anyone of any expertise that we need and bring them together to solve problems and i think that for me was why you know the network concept is so important that it's you know, we are actually a very small group of people, but we can reach out and, and bring together the most amazing talents on the planet to take on, you know, really vexing problems. And what's interesting about that approach is that you don't start with a solution that you're trying to apply. You start with the problem and say, how do we design a solution that's really uniquely organized around this problem. Uh, and, and that makes for a, a much different caliber of team and a much more focused application of work and a much better outcome. And part of what you guys are talking about too is collaboration. And is marriage different from collaboration? Or is it same? <laughs> <laughs> Did I get you guys in trouble or like? Should we no, I mean, no, on the contrary. Gosh, no, I mean. <laughs> That's a collaboration, let That's me tell you. I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's an ebb and a flow, you know? I mean, I think like any collaboration, it's a design construct. It's like a, a double helix, you know? And sometimes you're in harness and sometimes you're not. And, and, and I think that that sort of tension of in and out, in and out and alignment actually is the stories that you tell that make your life interesting. And that's also the stories that you tell in and out, in and out, that not only help inform your life, right? A life of ideas, a life of fun and so on, but that also informs the work that we have our own lanes. And so I think you have to communicate when you're collaborating. And I think that there are moments when you're like like dancing, sometimes one leads and the other one has to follow. <laughs> and um, um, Bruce, how's my following? It's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, but, but, but it's, 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 it's fun. I think that Bruce is like one of the smartest guys on the planet and I learn from him every single day. So for me, it's a real blessing, actually. I mean, it's, and I say this sincerely and he pulls stuff out and he knows stuff that it's like, wow, that's really cool. And so that's surprising. So that's part of the collaboration that he's interesting and smart and just has ideas and solutions all the time. So that's a good collaborator to have. <laughs> and the feeling is mutual. I mean, you know, BC comes from a kind of history and literature perspective that I don't have. And so, you know, anything I suggest, she can tell you what the source of it is. <laughs> 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 historically and li- and from a literary perspective and it is so exciting to see I and mean, she has a mind that is just unlimited um, and it's I mean it's very fun to watch on zoom calls <laughs> how people are how people are reacting to this kind of incredible mind uh, that is just so inventive and uh, and surprising and um, can kind of take language to places that you know I, I just don't have the the power to do that but what's really interesting if you think about freak the mighty maybe we're like one whole person because bruce in his visual language his historicism and with form 
is a staggering thing too. I mean, his recall across cultures and genres, et cetera. So it's fascinating because it's always learning. And I think where we intersect is a love of books and reading, right? And, mm -hmm. and it's always a big idea. So ultimately it always comes back down to the, what's the idea that makes, I think, it, it exciting. And our practice is about ideas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, I think, the driving force. And it, so far, it, it hasn't gotten old yet. Okay. <laughs> and in terms of the big ideas and kind of connected to marriage is like commitment. I don't feel like we kind of talk enough about commitment. Like you can have big ideas, but if you don't commit to them or follow through on any of them, then it's just like they're kind you of useless, it. right? Like. Yeah. I know we with NBA players, we talk about practice and how often they're in the gym, but they really have to be committed to like being this high school kid. I'm going to get to the NBA. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to make the sacrifices. And that's different than necessarily practice. So would you also yeah. then focus or recognize that commitment is like kind of one of the bedrock principles of, of all your principles? I mean, you hit it. It's actually integrity. Is it? I think it's really huge. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, I think that's it. And values. I think, you know, shared values. You can do a large number of things. You can weather anything. But if your values aren't aligned, mm -hmm. that's the deal breaker. That's from my perspective. And our values are generally almost uh, you know, 90% aligned. Sometimes sometimes we don't agree on the same things. It's splitting hairs, but <laughs> it's values. That's what gets you through, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I often tell our girls, you can't win if you're not in the game, right? It, like you, it takes commitment and you just have to be in the long game. You know, like you just have to have the long game mm -hmm. because many things that we're trying to do, mm -hmm. you know, like they're just not, we can't get them done right now. It, it, it might take, you know, five or 10 years to get certain kinds of things done. Um, but you've got to have the staying power to stay in the game. Because it's so easy to kind of get frustrated, walk out, give up, stop it, you know, and just throw up your hands. That's not a design method. Mm -hmm. A design method is to keep at it, keep working. You know, I, I never give up. <laughs> I'm like, I, I've been, you know, I started projects 30 years ago that I'm still working on. Yeah. Uh, and, and I still haven't figured out how to do them. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm going to eventually, uh, and it, it, you just have to stay in the game. Uh, and it's, it's such an important part of our work. You know, I never would have thought that stamina <laughs> would true. be an important part of design, yeah. but it really is like, you have to stay in the game and it's so easy to get kicked out, you but, know, to kick yourself out. But not just more than stamina, but also like getting back up, because I would assume, especially with a lot of the social issues and things that you guys are dealing with, you get a lot of dashed hopes or setbacks or frustrations or even projects just didn't work out the way that you wanted. So yeah. are you finding it like after like decades of all this work, are you still finding it easy to get up off to the mat when you get your dashed <laughs> hopes or, or do you yes, lay there a little yeah. longer? You know, the interesting thing is that we're working with, these incredible people at UT Dallas Center for Brain Health uh, and really exploring and researching the neuroscience of massive change. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that you can control the kinds of ideas you have by thinking in the right way. In other words, 
when you ins- when you're inspired, mm-hmm. they talk about your neuropharmacy, that your brain actually creates chemicals. Right? It creates drugs that go into your brain and kind of help you work in a certain way. And when you're inspired, you can you can get through all kinds of barriers that would otherwise stop you. Hmm. So thinking optimistically is a methodology. It's not just it's just not not just a personality. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not you know by personality inclined to do that. It's a method, and you have to actually apply the method. Think try thinking optimistically, and you'll see that that you you have the you have much more capacity. Than you imagine. I think that, you know, just to add on that, because sometimes, you know, like any skill you have, some people have more, you're faster, stronger, whatever. But it's been fascinating really looking at the neuroscience and you wonder what makes people tick, right? And we talk about it in this artwork because we take a large number of risks and sometimes, you, you know, you're going to fall. Sometimes you are going to bump yourself, but the crazy thing is, is, um, you know, you learn, you get up and you redo it and you get an opportunity. I mean, I, I feel it, you know, with huge gratitude that we get a chance to redo it again. Sometimes things don't work and you're like, hmm, why didn't it work? And then we get the gift of, oh, you know, now I see maybe I, I've done this and this and this, but also just recognizing like people are really beautiful and complex and dynamic. And to your point, Sammy, like there's sometimes with people, you know that they should go here with all your heart and all your soul and they can't get there. And it's sometimes heartbreaking because you're thinking if you don't move, you're gonna fail. I can see you fail. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying, you know, and 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 your your, you know, it's it squeezes your heart and but then you learn, okay, you know, it's not a bad thing because they they move and you have to sort of, again, that rhythm, eventually they come around, you know, or, or they don't. But like we're hardwired for adventure. Uh, we're not hardwired for like maintenance and plumbing. <laughs> and we want to learn that too. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, like we like the big idea, like cool. And, you know, we don't want to like do the ledgers. Right. So I think, choosing you know also your 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 joy too is a blessing as well right like yeah choose well your projects choose well your partner like really really work on what you love then it just keeps growing and that's something that i know people say oh you're so pollyanna but it's really true like i can't think of another way like think of how much joy you've had in your heart doing something that you absolutely don't want to do even if you fake it Mm -hmm. How many times do you want to do it? Like you love what you do, right? Yeah, I do. And what you're talking about too reminds me of um, Steve Kerr when he was hired to coach the Warriors. One of the things he said was like, look, we're going to do obviously basketball and we're going to do practices this way or whatever. But he said the hallmark of the team is that we're going to play with joy. We are playing basketball for a living, right? So yeah. yes, <laughs> yes, we're going to win championships and yes, we're going to practice and uh, practices will be hard and all these things. They're going to do the hard things too, but they want to play with joy. And you can see that with Curry and the way that he's shooting and having fun. And like, it's a lot different than like LeBron or some of the other players. And that's really what you're talking about. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Thank you for that. Because that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. Play with joy. That's a great joy. Good way of thinking. 
And then so just two more questions and then we'll wrap up. But in the in the documentary, Bruce, I guess the flip side of uh, joy too, or connected to joy is optimism. And one of the things that was interesting is one of the quotes in the documentaries that Bruce, you get accused, <laughs> accused of being an optimist. Um, <laughs> and I want to know if there's a difference between like optimism and ambition, because what you guys are talking about is big ideas. And it's one thing to like, you know, have hope for the world or that we're going to figure out climate change or something like that. But is there a difference between optimism and ambition? Um, well, I think that, that optimism um, is scalable. In other words, you know, you don't have to have a massive ambition to, to be optimistic. Um, you know, like the reality is that a lot of the things that we're going to solve over in the coming decades, especially in the next decade, are, are things that will require a lot of little things, you know, a lot of good, small wins. And those are really important. I mean, that's how we're going to change things. Uh, and collectively, we'll make massive change. But individually, we can make small change and really have a, a massive impact over time. So for me, the, the optimism isn't only about big things. You know, we can be optimistic about our day. We can be optimistic about our life, you know, our, you know what we're going to eat tonight. Um, it can be, you know, you can kind of scale it. Um, but I think the important thing is really to, to you know, find um, an optimistic methodology that is based in fact. You know, and this is such an important thing. You're right. I get accused <laughs> of being optimistic. And accused and judged you know, at the that same I was, time, right? So, David said I was irrationally <laughs> optimistic. I said, actually, you're more optimistic than me. Uh, you know, you've done more than me. And, and you know, doing things is a fundamentally optimistic act. You know, when you do something, you believe that there's going to be someone on the other end of it who's going to say, I'm going to listen to this podcast. I'm going to, I'm going to you know, take, take mm -hmm. my time to, to kind of download your song and, and, and play it and go to the, you know, go to your show. Um, and I, I think that, you know, I, I think what's really tragic is that we, we think being creative is being critical. And we equate critical with negative. Critical is neutral. So, like, we've conflated critical and negative. Critical is not negative. It's neutral. In other words, I want analysis. Mm -hmm. I want the data. I want to know what's really going on. What are the facts that I can count on? Uh, and then I'm going to make decisions based on those facts. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm going to look for the opportunity. And, and when I'm looking for the opportunity, if I'm looking for it, I can, I can see it. I can find it. If I don't believe there is opportunity, I'll never find it. And so, so the kind of logic of it is pretty straightforward, that the only possible way of contributing is to be optimistic. Uh, you know, as, I think it was Henry Ford who said, you know, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're yeah. right. So last question then, kind of following up on that idea of optimism and even Henry Ford, as Canadians, do you guys still believe in America as an idea? Like America was always kind of an idea more than just a country, right? With the innovation and the rebellion and all these kind of things. Like Ireland, I'm from Egypt. Like these are just countries. They're great countries, but they're just countries. 
But America was always kind of like presented as this idea, and it's a big idea too. So as people who are interested in uh-huh. big ideas, you still believe in America as a big idea now more than ever, perhaps? Uh, I still do. Uh, uh, you know, I'll let Lisa answer for herself. Uh, I certainly do. Uh, and I think that what we've seen over the last few months uh, is America really reasserting itself as an idea uh, against the kind of madness that we've lived through for the last four years. Um, and so, uh, you know, America, uh, you know, one of my favorite <laughs> lines about America is that Americans always do the right thing after they've exhausted every <laughs> other possibility. <laughs> that should be the country's slogan. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Canadian yeah. way of looking at it. And I think that, that um, America is so incredible in so many ways. Like you think about what it has accomplished in the world and what it has contributed. Uh, and it is a magnet for talent and resources and energy and intelligence. But there's a dimension of it that is really problematic. And that dimension has, has asserted itself over the last uh, four years uh, and more, in fact. But it's being, you know, it's being dealt with. It's, um, you know, I'm confident that the, the, the good will win in this case. Um, and that, you know, even though there will be lots of bad, uh, that in the long run, the good will win. Yeah, I, I always think that history is on the side of progressives. I think that it just happens. We just progress. And I'm bullish on America too. I mean, sometimes it's a real eye-opener. But on the other hand, um, America always comes up with solutions. No, it just is, you know, like they have ways of innovating things and things leak and they get out over here and they'll find other ways around it. And it's that continual inventiveness even under the most incredible circumstances, I find that it gives me hope and, and, and optimism. And I root for people too, you know. Um, there's a combination of just there's a blindness, but then there's also this um, acceptance and accelerating of people or things or ideas that sometimes are not on the side of good, but on the side of good that amplify and grow and that are ingenious. And it makes me think, wow, that's so cool. Like, and, and so it's that little streak of um, rebellion a little bit. I mean, they're a revolutionary mm-hmm. culture. And, you know, in a revolutionary culture, at some point when they feel the constraints, they give themselves natural permission to try something and do something different. And that's also kind of a design construct. I mean, everything about America, the mythology, the story, the it's all designed and it's a, it's a story and you accept it and you embrace it and you believe it. And these are the stories we tell ourselves. And, and it's one that's always striving and trying to do better, even if it's not perfect, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and I learned sometimes maybe perfect is the enemy of good. Yeah. It's amazing to me that you guys are so patient too with all this. I get I get impatient waiting for the bus. So <laughs> for the things that you're dealing with and how slow certain people are or slow certain governments can be or corporations, um, like you work with all kinds of people at all different levels. I just can't imagine just having that level of patience. And uh, Bissy, as you said, like knowing that you have the right perspective or you're waiting for somebody to change, you're like, an analogy of what you're talking about is like, you know, if you have a relative who smokes, right, they've made a terrible life decision that's going to cost yeah. them their health later down the road. But 
you can yell at them and you can hide their smokes and you can be mean and you could do these things. But at the end of the day, if they don't choose to stop smoking, then like that's the risk that they pay. So, but it's that patience of like, you know, waiting for that person to get to that point where they want to stop smoking. I don't know how you guys do it. That's <laughs> yeah, I work, I work is like uh, carving jello with a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> can't go for the details yeah <laughs> all right i have nothing else to do to follow up with that after that so <laughs> that's a perfect way to end it uh thank you so much uh bruce and busy for just hanging out and just like talking and uh we covered quite a bit right we covered america as an idea uh we covered the massive change network and we covered the cool documentary so yes thank you so Thank you, Sonny, for those great questions. You kind of really provoked our thinking. And uh, we can't wait to hear your the interview. It'd be, it'd be great. Yeah, thank, thank you. For thank, calling you. Us. thank you. Thank you for bringing some home. We yeah. love Toronto. <laughs> so hopefully, yeah, I mean, hopefully I'll run into you guys down uh, on like Young Street or something, like when everything opens up again. <laughs> like, Dude, I can't wait. I'll yeah. see you at Taroni's. <laughs> right? There you go. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Uh, Have a good night, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye, Ben. Yo, if food for thought was a real thing, then this My Summer Layer conversation was a heavy meal. I'm full. And I am also Sammy. That was designer Bruce Mao and Bruce's creative partner and wife, Basie Williams. The documentary to see them both in action is Mao. Highly recommend the viewing for anyone who practices or sells creativity. As for when they were discussing optimism and empathy, it generated a couple of observations. While there's no accurate way to measure it, empathy appears to have become almost like a black market currency. It's like we almost need a TED talk or like some sort of call to action or a call to return to empathy. Or at least some of the ways to recognize the symptoms of compassion fatigue that often leads to a decline in the quality of care. There's... There's like a wonderful disconnect when you travel. You maximize your time. You spend your days planning with a purpose, a dedication. You want to see this museum. You want to hear this history of a popular tourist attraction. You want to discover a unique setting for lunch. You're disconnected from day-to-day -day life for an active lifestyle fueled by curiosity. Day-to-day -day life, regular life, can be passive. The delayed commute to work watching TV news or consuming the unregulated emotions of Twitter. It's just a bombardment that left unchecked can naturally produce despair and rarely does it produce fruitful reflection. Much less hope. I'd be curious to know if social media hastens compassion fatigue or if it erodes empathy, if you can make a direct line between those two things. Which, yeah, granted, is an odd way to end this episode as I'm going to ask you to follow me on social media. <laughs> I, I'm not part of the problem. I'm part of. The, I'm not part of the solution at all. I'm quite very much part of the problem. So, yeah, follow me on social media because I don't know why anymore. Uh, it's my summer layer for all three. This episode's social media question is, what's your favorite Bruce Mao work? Or... If you're extra nerdy, which of his MC24 principles, his design principles, is your favorite? You got 24 to choose from. 
Let me know my summer layout for all three for IG, Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you so much for listening to me in the Netflix world. Design, yo.